you have to go or come or whatever, also not a big deal. Kids are welcome to play. Um, I have three of them. They used to be that little. Um, they're not anymore. Actually, I got my youngest over there right now. But wait, everyone, Benjamin. Um, but yeah, so kids, they make noise. It's what they do. There was a. Wendy, I think you had. This is a revelation. I don't think you read this anywhere, but we had one of those times. I think it was our kids from kind of in church or whatever. But um, the Lord was like, Do you think the kids, when I was doing the Sermon on the Mount, were all like well behaved and sitting there like in Sunday school? Outside, a million kids in a lot of space to play. Seriously, I think they were sitting down just like. Yes, Jesus. What are you saying next? <laughs> like an adult, like miniature adults. That's that's not how they work, and it's perfectly okay. The kingdoms just be like them anyhow. Um, so they're perfectly fine by me. Um, all right. So lesson for tonight. I've been praying about this for a while, and. Have you ever seen any of the kind of like the cop shows where they've got the investigator that'll do like, they'll create this big board to try and figure out the mystery of what's going on. They'll have like some pictures over here and I have a piece of string that connects down here and some pictures and evidence and a string and there's the crime scene and there's a string that goes over here and it's like suspect number one, suspect number two, suspect number three. And it kind of makes this senseless kind of pattern, but somehow at the end of it the cop goes, and the butler did it. Creating this feels that way. I've got like five, I'm not even sure how many different things to pull from. And they each like take a couple minutes. So I will do my best to connect them to the point as we go through it. But if it feels a little disjointed, just it'll come together. But I just want to put down that warning a little bit. Um, this comes out of. Honestly, this is kind of the way the Lord has taught us um, over the last few years. Um, like major, major things he's been kind of shoving into me because I need them badly. Um, but I'll, I'll start with this. There is, I'm not going to look up very many verses because otherwise all we're going to hear is pages turning. We won't get to much, but this one's worth reading. I'm camping on for just a minute. This is out of John 17. This is where Jesus is praying right before he goes and he's crucified. And I've always come to this chunk of scripture because it's like, this is some of the last words of Jesus. Before he went and did what he did, it made all the difference for all of us. We don't actually have a whole lot of scripture after this with him talking, unless you want to skip to Revelation. Um... He says, yeah, here it is. Um, I'm just going to start. This is about halfway through verse 1. It's where Jesus starts speaking. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh. Here's the important part. That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. His goal, give eternal life to many. Um, and this is eternal life, that 
they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is a little bit like, you know, the scripture says that God is love. Kind of like, you know, God's a person. Well, so is love. Um, or, or we say that Jesus is the word. It's a little of one of those where there's there's a bit more mystery and connection here than I think we often stop and think about. But what he's literally said is that knowing the Father and knowing the Son is eternal life. It's one of those equatable definitions. Um, it's not just a, a thing unto itself. Now I'm going to skip ahead a little bit more because he spent some time praying for his immediate disciples and some of what they're going to go do and all that good stuff. And that's all wonderful. But for us, uh, going down to verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He goes on with this theme of being one with him and one with each other. Now, that one, that word one, you could also translate it as unified, joined, or united. Um, it's, it's not just we agree on a purpose, kind of united. Um, it, it's a little more intimate than that. But it's not one as in like a loss of identity. It's like you get to be all of you as God made you to be with all of him and he gets to be all of him present with you and you and him get to be all of both of you present with the rest of us being all together with all of ourselves the way God intended us to be present so that we walk out in the world and people smell Jesus that's this this is the image this would also be the walking out of knowing him which is the walking out of eternal life here on earth. That's not to say there isn't eternal life after, too, but the, um, this kind of makes sense as a picture. Okay. To aid in this process of really becoming united, because he's saying that those would believe, there would be people that would believe that they would then become one, which means to be, that growing in that one and that unity, it's not automatic for, like, I believe in Jesus, therefore, like, we're walking this out perfectly. It's it's a thing he leads us into. So to help in that, um, I'm not going to turn to the verse, but it's the, the immediate chapter before. Jesus starts saying, I'm going away. Don't freak out. I'm going away. But I'm going to send you someone else. So it's good that I go away because you get the Holy Spirit out of the deal. But the point there is that the Holy Spirit would come and lead and guide us into all truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This making sense. He does this unifying thing. Um, another sort of side concept that goes kind of with this all at once is um, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty, as we translation, well, roughly that, like, yes, life is good, bondage is gone. Um, the working out of that, and this little piece is important, and I'm going to come back to this really heavy in about 10 minutes, but I'm going to drop it now. The walking out of that 
is Jesus says, you will know the truth. What's the rest of that verse? Truth will set you free. Um, I've heard translators play around with the, the prepositions around that, but basically truth make free. And they're somewhere. Which means, if you don't know the truth, what happens? So, yeah, there's some kind of, there's a great potential for not free. Wherever the truth is missing, there's tremendous potential for bondage. And bondage looks one of two ways, typically. We're either locked down and in place, we call that jail, or someone else comes along and takes us in our bondage and directs us. We call that slavery. So when there isn't truth, when the Holy Spirit hasn't had his work in us in an area of our lives, tremendous potential for bondage. Prison, slavery. Pick your voice. Actually, you're not free. You don't really get to pick. Um, but, so here's my, that, that's kind of my first concept. So Holy Spirit's job, what he wants to do, longs to do, lives to do, Lead us to Christ, lead us to knowing Christ, lead us to freedom, lead us to truly knowing, knowing the truth, the person, the concepts, the principles, all of it, Jesus. And we live free and we live with him. That's the goal. And when we don't have him, and when we're not letting him have his way, and it's not so much fun. Okay, so that's one concept. I just want to kind of put that over here for a minute. Concept number two. And this actually isn't as much a concept. I'm hearing a lot of me. Let me see if I back up if it sounds a little better. Is this better for everyone or the same? Or? Okay. Okay. Um, if it's coming across, okay, we'll take it. The, yeah, that's a little better. Um, thank you. The, okay. So I'm, I'm going to put out this disclaimer. I am not a prophet. I do not get piles and piles of prophetic words. I'll pray for an hour and get three English words in response. I, I have been privileged to know a lot of people with powerful prophetic gifts that really are called prophets. They pray for negative three minutes and get an hour of prophetic word. <laughs> Just, I will say that. Um, but in being privileged to know them, I, I've learned to hear the Lord for some areas and gotten to walk a little better and closer on account of that. And there's a few things the Lord has shared. I tend to pray about stuff that's going on in our nation and going on in the body of Christ. And those are separate, um, but they do overlap sometimes. And I'll typically get a few words a year, but just enough that I haven't all right, Lord, I know kind of where to meet you. And then I stay out of his way. Um, and he tells me to do something, I do it, but it, it is what it is. A lot of times, lately, the last mm, three, four years, it's been a tremendous comfort because I don't know if you've seen the news lately. It's kind of nuts. Um, but the... I can tell you that I, and this is the major thing that brings me a lot of comfort, I know the Lord has a plan. 
the Lord's hand is in the middle of the nuts. I, I won't try to dissect that and do all that right now. That's not really the point of where I want to go. But I know he's working too, and even working through some of the chaos. Um, it's, it's not really time to write our nation off. Um, but that's more of an aside. The what I have come to see is over the last number of years, something the Lord is trying to do and is working and doing is working out of our nation our delusions and working out of us the stuff we don't know and the stuff we haven't been willing to look at. He's been revealing this is the real state of things. Um, and a lot of times when he does that, it's a little scary because we don't always want to deal with the real state of things. Sometimes it's more comforting just to ignore a problem um, than to look at it full on. And he's been doing that politically. He's been doing it in our government. He's been doing it with various corporations. He's been doing like every system of power in our nation. There has been unpleasant revealing of either its weaknesses or corruption, or is there, how many would say you trust the government less now than you did 10 years ago? I mean, it's, and I don't want to like point fingers at any particular or anything, but like, you see what I'm talking about. This is the gift of God. Um, because he wants us to see the truth, because we can make decisions on it. But what he's doing in the government isn't, I don't know if I can say that's the less important work, but he's doing the same thing in the body of Christ to people personally. One of the things he's trying to do in our own personal lives is the places where we've been not listening or not paying attention or not knowing that we need to look, he's been drawing attention to and overturning them. And sometimes when we see stuff, we're like, that is not cute. And it is not instantly comfortable. His goal is to bring freedom. It's not to depress us or to terrify us or to shake us up just for the sake of shaking us up. There's a scripture that says, you know, we have a kingdom that can't be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Our kingdom cannot. Um, or rather, his kingdom that we get to be a part of. Um, if you want to look it up. Um, but this aspect of what's going on, it's meant for our cleansing. Um, he's been doing it for years, but it's taking on greater and greater portions. The end result of this, like the intent is to make room for the Holy Spirit. We have this concept, we think some way, and God's like, no, that's not the truth. Well, then the logical question after that is, okay, well, Lord, if that's not the truth, what is the truth? And that's where the Holy Spirit will come in and start leading and guiding. Um, some of what, and I'm not going to do all of this tonight, but some of what I really want to touch on tomorrow night is, what does that process look like? How do we go from, that's not the truth, now I'm uncomfortable, to life is settled, but it's not just 
I'm subtle and emotional, it's I'm actually standing on the truth, I know I'm standing on the truth, and we have unity with Christ in this area. Um, which I'll get to do that a little more tomorrow, but so this is an aspect of something you're doing that I just kind of want to stop and say, here, look at this. So that's a concept, we're going to put that aside. Third concept. I'm starting to feel like the pictures with the one. Um, said it might feel like that. Um, I got a few more. The, the third thing is, and this is something like, for Wendy and I, this has come up a lot in our own just personal discussions about life, um, is you've got the story of the Lord taking the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, through some desert, cross a river into some promised land, slaying some giants in the process. And there's a lot of people in I don't even know how many sermons I've heard of people talking about one aspect or the other that they're basically fitting our lives to that process where you know we go from some area of bondage to some area of promise. And the Lord takes us through this journey. You may have heard messages on this. Okay. How many of you would say that most of the messages you've heard focus on the crossing over the Jordan River part? It's kind of like the, your promised land, take your promised land. You know, a, a lot of great self-help books are written like that. Like, And, and that's not all bad. Um, I want to point out, I don't want to dog all the messages that have been done that way, because some of them are based on a whole lot of biblical truth, are really inspiring, um, can be very encouraging. But if we're not careful, they can be very mistimed. And this is where we can kind of get ourselves into trouble and, and wind up in situations. Think about this for just a moment. Let's pretend you're actually at the bank of the Jordan River in your journey. You're like right there and God's saying, go in. When you hear that message, that's the word of the Lord for that moment. Which is awesome. What happens if you're not at that place? Let's pretend you're still in bondage. You know there's a journey. And you hear that message, and you haven't discerned that you're in bondage. What you get is confusion. And possibly disappointment, because you go do something, and the taskmaster speech you for it. That's not victory. That's not promised land. Um, it's, if you look at the whole Israelite history, they spent, anybody know how long they were enslaved? Yeah, about 400 years. And so then the Lord took them out of slavery. That was you know, a couple month process, I believe. Anyone know how long they were in the desert before being brought up to the promised land the first time? Close. Too long. It's, I, I was looking this up specifically. It was 15 months. He broke them out of uh, Egypt in the springtime for Passover started constructing all the tabernacle and everything, the Ten Commandments, three months later in the summer. And then the following summer, he brought them up to the banks of the Jordan the first time. 
and they send the 12 spies, and the 12 spies came back. This is 401 and a third years, one and a quarter years, before the Jordan moment. Then they passed on their Jordan moment and got another lifetime in the desert. The Jordan moments are rare. They're not every day. So the message is, if you've heard a bunch of them, I would say take them in and shelve them. Store them away. Be ready that when the Lord says go in, to go in. But trying to just work ourselves up and make something happen. Anybody ever try to do something in faith that's really more like you and then him? <laughs> Tell me I'm not the only one that's done that far too many times. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm just going to go and God's going to, and no, 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 not so much. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it's just, you know, tiring. Um, sometimes you can really get yourself into trouble with it, uh, depending on the situation. But um, what I really believe needs to happen in the body of Christ is we need to start discerning where on this journey are we. Then we need to start studying the portions of Scripture that actually apply to where we are. This is one of those blowing away some of our presumptions. Um, so this, this leaves out the, this leads up to the very next really interesting question. Where are we? Collectively. In about every other year for the last 20 years, I've heard one prophetic word or another of someone that you know, writes on the internet. Promise land. I'm like, okay. Um, either we're really bad at crossing over, or a lot of those are wrong. Um, and, and I'm, God love them, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled they try. They, uh, I'm really not angry, I don't want to encourage anyone else to be either, or whatever. But, it's, we need to stop and say, okay, well, where are we? Because if we know where we are, then we connect with God in it, and then we can move forward. I really think one of the things that really messed up the Israelites when they went into the desert, we know they went into the desert, it was not cute. Like, every time God wanted to do something, their response was like the dead opposite. Part of the problem is they could not accept God just got us out of slavery this is uncomfortable, but it's better. He has a promise to lead us to it. We can trust him. Like the basic facts of where they are, what was going on, what God wanted to do, they could not, would not grasp, which is why God's like, they're stiff-necked, they're rebellious, they're really irritating. Um, like this is kind of this, this language, is this sort of non-acceptance of the reality of their situation. Which is why, three months in, they're making a golden calf going, yeah, that brought us out of Egypt. Really? How'd you get there? That's what non-reality will do. Um, if, on the other hand, they had said, God just got us out of slavery. We are in the desert. This is good. Then they go into stuff. Would they have handled it perfectly? No, they're people. But they would have been people God could work with. This is 
kind of makes some sense. I really think half their problem is they were like, we either want to be in what's familiar, Egypt, or we want to be in comfort, their idea of the promised land. Anywhere but here. And it didn't matter where here was. You know, when they didn't have water, they complained. When they didn't have this, they complained. When that went wrong, they complained. Then when they had everything they needed for too long, they got tired of that, didn't like the manna anymore, and they complained. There's a definite... We see, we see the situation here. This is where we need to start, I believe, going more. What is actually the truth? Where are we now? What are you doing now? Good, bad, or indifferent. Because if we can take that, then there's then there's some forward. And then when he does stuff, we recognize it. I'm going to make a statement that may come off as really strong. I really believe what's going on, like the state of the church right now, is by and large in America, most of the churches in slavery, most of the churches in Egypt. A few people are in the desert, and I don't necessarily think that that's because they've done something right or incredible or they're more godly than the rest. And I believe what the Lord is doing right now is pulling us out of Egypt, everyone that's willing to go. I don't think the Lord is angry with the church. Not since that. Um, I think he really just wants to freight us. But when he does, it's going to put us in a place that's really unfamiliar. And the challenge is going to be, okay, Lord, this is really unfamiliar. In your own journey, this set of lessons is going to do one of two things, depending on where you are in terms of being helpful. Either A, you'll get a better sense of what the Lord is doing, and it'll produce a lot more freedom a lot faster. Or B, if you're in the state of the unfamiliar, it's going to put some context on it so that it's a whole lot less... It won't be less intense, but it'll give you some purpose to wrap it in and some language to describe it with. Um, does that make sense? Um, okay. So slavery being what it is, what are we enslaved to? Any takers? <laughs> That's okay. Um, if you look at the work of Jesus in his earthly ministry, what's the force he constantly came against? Religion. Um, I started really looking at like, what does he actually say? Like, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this, and how many have seen The Chosen? Any of those episodes? Really good show. If you haven't seen it, you get on YouTube. Um, it's like telling the life of Jesus from the perspective of the disciples. Some really good stuff in there. 
But one of the things they do a really good job of, I've done some of my own studies to verify that parts of what they're doing are fairly accurate. I can't verify all of it, but um, that there's a definite culture they try to describe of what was like Jewish culture in that day. And, and the virtues of it as well as the vices. And you look at it, and I was, I was reminded of this, that they were an oppressed people under Roman occupation. The Romans were not good, godly people. Like, their definition of the peace of Rome that they delivered everywhere was bloodshed. And that's what they call peace. That's the thing they're famous for 2,000 years ago. These are the same Romans that put together the gladiatorial games and called that entertainment, that bowed down to I don't know how many idols, that, I mean, we can just kind of go on and on and on, and it gets worse for each step down the road. So I'm not going to go any further than that. And yet Jesus spent, like, no time talking about how bad the Romans are and how he was going to overthrow them. He was going to fix that problem. Oh, I never mentioned it. Like, I don't know about you, but like I would have looked at that and been like, that's a real problem in the earth, Jesus. Can we fix that? He didn't talk about it. Walks right by it every day. You know, the Jews and oppressed people, like crucifixion was a standard form of capital punishment. Um, there are stories of like hundreds of crosses being around Jerusalem, which is a dead man. Dying in agony. Jesus never got with it. All he said was, I'll join them one day. Um, next on the list, I would think that he would deal with, and again, this is me in my natural mind, would be like the tax collectors, which were the Jews that betrayed the, the people trying to live for God and sided with Rome, or the people that were like leading others into sin of one form or another that was obvious and problematic. Uh, maybe the violent zealots who were trying to overthrow Rome and had no hope of succeeding and were going to bring down more trouble than was worth. Or, I mean, you could, you could pick some people that would have made a whole lot more sense. Hardly ever mentions them. You know, like, you know, he wasn't the one to first throw the first stone. I mean, he would tell them to go send them more, you know, after delivering them of something. But, like, he's never harsh with them. It deals with the religious leaders, the people trying to emotionally, spiritually guard the children of Israel. Upstanding citizens. Do they have some issues? Yes. We look at them through the lens of they crucified Jesus, which they did. But Jesus was confronting them long before that was a thing. That wasn't why he confronted them. This makes some sense. This is the part that we kind of, it bears taking a minute to step back and go, what was so bad about them that like the Romans couldn't hold a candle to this, that they were worth Jesus's worst, nastiest phrases, not the Romans, not the people we would ordinarily want to point the finger at. How's that Proof positive that God loves me. I have coffee. Okay. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take two chunks of scripture 
I'll direct you to them. One is Matthew 23, verse 15. And you can read this whole section. It talks about you know, some of their issues. Some of their issues is that they're greedy and they're self-serving. The Romans had that in spades. That's not unique to the Pharisees. But the one thing I read in here that's truly like different about them that like no other people group hits is this verse. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now the word hypocrite literally just means actor. Or performer. I mean, it was the Greek word, or yeah, it's Greek. The Greek word for performer. Like, so people up on the stage, those are hypocrites. It wasn't like a mean word. Um, he's just saying that you guys are fake. Fakers. Um, he says, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, or one convert, depending on your translation. That sounds like a good thing to do. Leave the 99, go after the one, regardless of where they are. I don't see a problem there. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. And here's the scary thing. He literally says, son of hell. Like, it's almost like he's saying, like, you don't see a reference to the Pharisees ever being possessed by demons. I think the reason is the demons went, yeah, we don't need to possess that one. That one's too much like us. Imagine that for a terrifying thought. The devil looks at you and goes, oh, let me fix my hair. That's a mirror. Like... And that there's degrees of this, and that they're making the problem worse as they go on. What they've done is they've taken this person and begun to teach them. I think there's another verse elsewhere that has this as a, it's a parallel reference. It says they load them down with all the all of their interpretation of the law. Um, but like this is not a light light thing at all. Like he's not just saying religion's bad. He's literally saying religion, as these people have done it, even based on the word of God, is like more demonic than wrong. That should give us pause. Um, other verse goes with it. If you want to turn over to Mark chapter 7. I can do it quietly because I'm using my phone and pages. I've got a lot of technology. <laughs> okay. So this is, I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, and he, this is Jesus, he answered and said to them, Well, did I, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites? There's no word again. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're saying the right stuff and doing a lot of the right stuff. They look like they're doing the right stuff. And in vain they worship me. Actually worship just badly. And then here's the, here's the, here's the real issue. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
this is the part where they truly are doing something totally unlike anyone else. They're claiming to speak for God, and it's just their own stuff. And then after this, he starts giving them some examples of how they do it. Um, and I, I won't go through all of this. Um, well, actually, maybe we can. He says, for laying aside the commandments, the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The, watch, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. They've gotten so into the cleanliness that it was like, well, we've got to wash every pitcher, and we've got to wash all our cups, and we've got to do our dishes a certain way. But wasn't actually in the law. Um, now, there are some stuff about cleansing things you own. Um, but they've, they've taken it to a whole other level that God never intended. In other words, taking care of God too far is what he has an issue with. I'm going a little further. Um, it says, he said to them, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, this is, this is the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, and he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin. Corbin was the word for sacrifice to God. Um, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. What he's talking about um, is when, this is, I believe this is the culture that's going on, if you wanted to be a disciple of a Pharisee and the Pharisee was willing to take you as one of their disciples, you could go to your parents and go, see ya. And your parents couldn't say or do anything about it. And, and at that point, the Pharisee pretty much owned you for the next number of years. And after that, you're going to be a Pharisee yourself, and you probably saw your parents again. Like, it was almost like breaking the family apart, so to speak, in terms of where the priorities went. Um, you know, the intent of, of the culture at that time was that, like, families would be families. Continue to honor your parents. Don't turn and hate them and pretend like they don't exist just because you want to do something for the Lord. This makes some sense. And they were like, nah, it's a higher law to study the studying the law of the Pharisees is far more important than helping my parents who need me. Now it's different, of course, if the parents and the kids get together and they go, Yeah, you should go, go study. Um, but what they've done is they've basically said the study is so important that like Nobody gets any say in this anymore. Like, do you see, do you see the difference in the heart? And he's like, by doing this, you've completely blown out of the water two commandments. Like, they're gone just by your tradition. And and the really sad thing is, we look at it, it's kind of like, but they're talking about like studying the law and becoming a Pharisee and being an upstanding person in the country that everyone will respect. Surely, this, but that's not what God said. It's a slight shade. It's like trading God's best for the next thing down. The problems with the Pharisees have done is they've done it in every area of life. 
And they had some things that they had done it so many times that it accumulated. Like, we all know the stories of Jesus irritating them about the Sabbath. What was Jesus' commentary about the Sabbath? Anyone know? He made one comment that was just like, he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The idea was, it's a day that you rest. God put a couple of commands in place to kind of like, let's define work for not work. Like, you're welcome to keep a fire going, but don't build one from scratch, because that's a lot of work. But if you want to be warm, just keep your fire going. No big deal. Don't go and do long journeys. This is a Sabbath. We rest. Um, and that's, other than that, you know, nothing is just work. Well, then the Pharisees came along and defined everything as work. So if you were a good Jewish person, you were practically held captive in your home one day a week. And you weren't allowed to do anything. Even if it was fun and restful. I mean, it was like, uh, that's prison. They have taken the truth of God, substituted it for their own ideas, and they're no longer living and breathing his truth, and they live in jail. This goes back to that first thing I was saying about union with God and union with Christ, and the Holy Spirit leads and guides us into all truth, and if he hasn't had his way and we're not living in the truth, there's tremendous potential for bondage. This is what the Pharisaical tradition had done to the nation of Israel, worse than Rome ever had. Because they could still, with Rome in place, they could, if it weren't for the Pharisees, walk with the Lord, know his ways. Especially with Jesus present, who they also conveniently rejected. This is starting to kind of make some sense. There's a, there's a really destructive quality when we take the truth of God and we don't carefully go, all right, well, what's, what's the whole truth? And then we just build a practice out of it and then communicate that practice to others. The Pharisees have been doing this for thousands of years, just adding to it. So by the time it got down to Jesus, it was kind of silly. Um, I could go into some other stuff that's like standard Jewish practice, but I, I don't know that that's going to really help us. But you, you get enough when you see it. Like They were at the point of like, no, you shouldn't heal people on the Sabbath. God Almighty shouldn't heal. Interesting thing. Um, what God gives his people, um, I spent a lot of time looking at reading, studying the law. Um, I happen to really like it, which is kind of geeky. Um, sort of nerdy geeky as scripture goes. I don't know many people that really like the law. I get why people think it's boring. He lives with me. <laughs> He's learned to like it too. Um, and that's that's about it. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but one of the things I've noticed in the law is the law is not all that restrictive. It's really, really not. It is tedious if you have to deal with sacrifices because someone messed up. It is really tedious when it comes to sacrifices. It's expensive too. But like, if you take the we messed up part out of the equation, which is the book of Leviticus, the rest of the laws are like 99% common sense and a couple of things that are ceremonial. 
And if you have a whole community keeping them, they're easy. You know, one of them was like, you know, Jewish guys, you know, they wear, they call them talits. Um, this is the garment that's, that's referenced in the law. It's, you know, they've got some tassels on the ends. And it says, you know, when you do one of these things, you should have t- at least one tassel on each corner, and there should be some blue on those tassels. No other description about how the rest of it should be. There should be some blue, there should be at least four tassels on each corner. Well, the Jewish people are enterprising people, so if you go to a clothing store, it's really not hard to keep that law. You're going to find those things sold everywhere. Because industry will spring up to support it. That's not a hard law to keep. It's kind of weird looking. But like, the oddball stuff is like that. Everybody just does it. Um, the rest of it's like, be faithful to your wife. Generally, that leads to a happier life. All the women said, amen. You know, it's like, um, the, you know, don't murder people. Most pagan nations have laws like that. Um, I mean, it's really, do you know what I'm saying? It's not all that complicated. Um, there's a lot of stuff about protecting the poor so that they're well cared for um, and not taken advantage of. Um, there's some ways to, you know, if you have disputes with someone, you know, there's, there's means to get that kind of stuff resolved. I mean, it's just a, it's a simple legal system. It's not all that complicated. Anybody want to know a really complicated legal system just for comparison? The U.S.'s? Do you have any other laws we have on books? Honestly, I don't. I do know that for, like, there's whole professions that you have to pass tests on laws just before you can be certified to do them. Anybody know a contractor? An insurance agent? Like, all these are tests. And, like, there's, they're everywhere. You have to pass tests to be allowed to drive. And justly so. But, like, our legal system is complex. And we live with it all the time. Um, the reason this is important is because when God put the Israelites in the promised land, he gave them a simple legal code and said, live! Just be faithful to this. You're going to be fine. I'll take care of you. It was meant to be a place of freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God wanted to dwell among his people. That was the whole point of the tabernacle and then the temple after it. It was to grant them freedom, to be present, to watch them prosper in this freedom. You know, he gives them this huge territory and a lot of spaces. He says, go, have a good time, live, prosper. But he draws them a few boundaries and says, you know, like, don't do this. Um, and then what the Pharisees would come along and go, well, if we cross this line, this is sin. So why don't we draw another line back here and tell people not to cross this line? That way, if they cross this line, it's not sin. They're still safe, but it'll keep them from getting near the other line, which they really don't want to cross. You see the logic here? But they kept drawing lines. And then eventually they lost track of where the real lines were and they started pretending these were the real lines. You see the slippery slope. Starts with really good intentions. Now get out of the law for just a minute. Go something a whole lot more basic. Just how fundamental this mistake is. Mankind's first temptation, Genesis 3. I'm not going to turn there. 
Does anybody know what the devil first says to you? <laughs> you, you either memorize it or you've read it recently, and it's it's kind of an innocuous comment, but it's exactly this premise. He looks at her and he first said, did God really say you shouldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? He was starting to question where the line was. That, that was his opening, that was the opening salvo was, where's the line? Isn't it really strict? This is a detail the devil is all wrapped up in. This is how he gets people trapped. So then Eve replies, no, we need all the trees. Those are all good. We have a very fruit-based diet around here. It's good stuff. But then she goes on, she says, but we are told not to eat from that one, the one in the middle. And then she adds her own little stretch to it. And I don't know if she got this from Adam, because Adam miscommunicated it to her, because he thought it was good to draw that line, the extra line, or if she did. Scripture doesn't say. But regardless, she put an extra line in front of it. She said, we're not supposed to eat it or touch it, lest we die. You look back at chapter before, God never said, don't touch it. Frankly, the freedom that God gave them in the garden was to go all around the whole garden. They could go anywhere in it, including right up to that tree. Knock on wood. Literally, they'd be okay. They could have taken the fruit down and thrown it at each other and been fine. They could have bathed in it and been okay. It is possible they could have made smoothies out of it and like juiced it and drank the juice. Now, <laughs> do I think that's a good idea? No. <laughs> but he only said, don't eat it. And if they had a question, it wasn't like God was far away. Well, the Lord is drinking okay? They could have asked. So you see, I'm going with this. His intent was maximum freedom. It's worth saying again. His intent, his plan for his people is maximum freedom. We put ourselves in bondage. We do it freely all the time. We only pay attention. And we live under all sorts of presuppositions and things of I need to do this, I need to do that, and how it's all going to be. Wendy's got a really cool story she'll share tomorrow. The, uh, I'm just going to plug it. It's really good. It's worth getting up for. Um, but it's, it's one of those kind of things where you'll, you'll see it working out. But we, we tend to do this. Um, you know, we turn traditions into musts. And it becomes a bondage. And what we haven't been careful to do, we haven't been careful to say, that's the devil's work. We just kind of do it, thinking, well, yeah, it's, you know, we're trying to avoid the lines we're not supposed to avoid, make sure we do the things we're supposed to do, so we'll put all this other stuff in place to make sure we do it, to try to control ourselves with the arm of our flesh, as if having been start, having begun according to the Spirit of God, we can finish in our flesh and call it good. That's a rough paraphrase of one of Paul's comments somewhere. Um, 
But this is one of the things I think the Lord is really trying to work out of the body right now. It is, I think, a little bit of the gift of God that came during COVID. We couldn't do a lot of the stuff because the government said not to. The Bible doesn't say we'll church on a Sunday morning. Start with five worship songs and have a guy with a microphone stand up and speak. He doesn't say do it on a Friday night either, which we're having doing right now. He doesn't say not to. There's freedom. He doesn't say worship is a certain style or not. Actually, if read the scriptures, the idea of music being a form of worship doesn't show up to the Psalms, which is like thirty or four thousand, depending on the reading of some things. A few thousand years after Adam. Now, there is a lot of scripture encouraging lots of singing. Absolutely. Um, but there's freedom in this. This is starting to kind of click a little bit. I really think, um, I'll take a little bit of the spiritual war side to this for a minute. I think the most dangerous spirit out there in terms of demonic spirits is a religious spirit. How many of you have heard someone from Fulham talk about a religious spirit? Other than Travis. No, I mean, seriously. This, this is every denomination I've ever been a part of, visited, whatever, someone will talk about it. It's like the, even the people that don't believe in demons will talk about it. I find this amazing. And we talk about it like it's just normal that it's there. We have, as a body, decided that this is normal and acceptable that we have religious spirits. This is the same spirit that pursued and ultimately crucified our Lord. If there is a spirit out there that we should be most on guard with, it's that one. And yet, in America, it is the one I would say, like, we talk about it and we laugh about it. Like, we say things, I, I heard what's her pastor say, something to the effect of, you know, most church conflict is my version of the religious spirit doesn't like your version of the religious spirit. So we don't get along. And it's it's a sadly pretty true statement, actually. But like it's the same kind of like each church has their own sort of definitions and their own boundaries. And so we fight over the stuff we added. Like whose additions are better than whose? Like you see, like this becomes a source of conflict in the body. Um, let me go back to the Egypt analogy for a minute. I told you to tie it all together, so I'm coming back around. I think the major source of slavery we have in the body right now is all the definitions and mess that we put in place. All of the non-truths that we've accepted as truth. I get annoyed in America, uh, connected to the nation too, watching our media that doesn't often tell the truth. But we've been practicing that a lot longer than they have. We gave that permission to be there. And we have no moral authority to say stop. Which is why I think it persists. 
Which is also why I think the Lord's trying to deal with it in the body, because he doesn't like either. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Like, he didn't want non-truth to be the standard for communication. Like, that's, that's not glorifying to him. He wants this fixed more than we do. Um, but our, I really believe our greatest source of slavery is where we have fallen into the same trap as the Pharisees did. And it's a trap we've fallen into. I don't think people have come along and been mean and, 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 and ill-intending. Um, I think we've had some selfish motives at parts. Um, I would like to think that there's a lot less selfish motives than the Pharisees have. I don't know that. But I've known a lot of really good men and women that are pastors and leaders in the body. Um, still create this kind of slavery unintentionally. Like, I mean, it's a trap we've fallen into. I don't, I don't see a lot of villains. Not people that are villains. Um, I, I will tell you there are some, and scripture even talks about you know, there are people that come in like wolves and sheep's clothing. There are some villains. Absolutely there are. And some of them are in church leadership, but I don't want to be like, eh, church leader's bad. No. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but this is this is the thing. But if we go back to Egypt, our Egypt is the prison we built for ourselves. This is what God wants to get us out of. But here's what happens. What happens when you look at your whole walk with God and you go, I don't even know how much I've let get added to this and defined by this. But I don't want to live by these definitions anymore. Lord, I want the life you have. The result is suddenly all trust in the familiar evaporates and it gets really uncomfortable. Can we see how that would happen? Like, it's real easy to like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. This is why I think Paul can say things like, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because like, when you really, it's like, just you and God. And it's like, you're letting the Lord define things, and you're letting him call everything into question. And you're letting him go like, how much freedom did you really give me? What is your intent? How do we do things? But you know, there's a lot more questions and answers for a long time. That is the wilderness. It is the best place for spiritual growth. When the Lord took Israel out of Egypt and put them in the desert, it's there that he gave them the legal system that he gave them the ceremonies, that he gave them all of, this is how I want you to live. That's where he taught them. And he gave them a whole year to practice the full calendar thing before going to look at the promised land the first time. The purpose of the desert was to teach them, this is the life I've called you to. We're all here together. You can make mistakes. We can work about it. Like, we can work through it. But that was the point of the desert. The same image gets borrowed in Song of Songs, where in the story there is, is um, it's usually taken as the, uh, the woman is us, and, and the guy in the story is the Lord. And it's, it's our growing in, in that sort of love relationship. Well, the end of it is this 
there's this comment that says, who's this leaning on, their ar- on, on the arm of her beloved? Coming out of the wilderness. It's in the wilderness that the real life of God gets set. Does this make some sense? This is kind of clicking. It's not comfortable. It, it has to be embraced. But once embraced and walked through, the end result is like real life in Him. It's the unity that the Holy Spirit has been trying to work in us all along. It's that place of, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have anything familiar. I don't know where we're going. Where are we going, Lord? And sometimes he answers and sometimes he doesn't. He begins to teach his truth a bit at a time. This makes some sense. Do they know about the question thing? The big question mark? I shared it with you last year. Did. Yeah. Travis and I were talking the other day, and he says, sometimes his life feels like a big question right now. There's a lot of stuff he doesn't know. And yet there's God. That's the desert when it starts having the work it's supposed to have. That is what that is. That's the indicator on the right track. Look, you got a question mark, but you can see the hand of God. Um, rather than keep us up all night. Yeah, we're going to build on this. What I want to do, and Wendy's got some stuff she's going to share in the morning, it's really, really good. I There's a heart of God in this that I think she's better at communicating. Um, there, there's just some hard language for this, which... She's got some stuff she's going to share that I think would be really, really helpful. Um, I can give you, here's the unpleasant mental pictures. <laughs> Feel encouraged and adult, and I get that. Um, I'm going to let her do that, plus anything else the work that's on her heart, which will be amazing. Um, and then what I'm going to go into in the evening session is... This is how we actually handle the desert. This is how we make the desert not miserable. This is how we get the productivity out of the desert, how we handle the questions. It's David's really, 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 really short desert survival guide. Um, like, I've got a little bit that I'll share. It's been helpful, this stuff, or show me the stuff that's in the scripture. It's not. I would say it's not a very complete desert survival guide. Um, but it's definitely enough that if you're on here, you'll find some comfort. Because um, it would be some language for you. Know, and if you're not, it, it would be something like, okay, we can do this. Like, we know the platitude, you know, God's bigger than our problems, and he goes there. Which, that is absolutely true. Um, but knowing a little better how to connect with it is really good for fixing a lot of frustration. You have a thought. I know that.
Constant confusion. I don't know what to do right now. Or areas where we're overworked and overburdened. Like, this, this is the taskmaster we created, and it works on many different fronts. I would strongly recommend if you've got areas of great pain, start asking the Lord, like, what are my definitions that are keeping me? What are you trying to get past this week that I need to get out of the way? Like, what do I need to lay down? Put this like five different ways, but this, these are the questions I would be asking. These are the questions I ask a lot. Um, this is not a once and done thing. Um, I, mean, I feel like we started, we didn't recognize when we did it, but we started the desert a few years ago. And yet I'm still, all right, Lord, what else? <laughs> what else? <laughs> what is it today? Um, that's where the deliverance begins to happen. That's where the freedom needs to happen. Um, yeah. Okay, since I I don't think we do a really good job all the time of embracing process. You know, the definition of embrace is to grab and to hold close and to hold near. And God is a potter and we are clay and he embraces us as his clay. How much do you really embrace him as the potter? And how much do we really Ask of him, what is your opinion of this? What am I responding to in this? So it's just kind of another way of asking the Lord, like with definitions, and like where am I in the process, or where I am with you. It's really just like, Lord, um, what would you like me to see? What would you like me to see? Open my eyes to see what you would have me see. I want to see what you see, Lord. I'm tired of seeing with my own idea. I'm tired of, 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 of my own paradigm. Lord, what do you want me to see? Because I want to see you, and I want to see and know the truth, because that's what's going to make me free, and that's what's going to bring me into the communion with you and into the communion with others that your blood has purchased for me. If we 
we walk in the light as he's in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And so it all connects with the union and the oneness of him. But it's about, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm just kind of rambling. But it's, it's, you know, it's just that whole, okay, God, what do you, what do you want me to see? Where am I? That's a really good question. Where am I really, Lord? Um, I know in my own life, many times I've not been where I thought I was. And boy, I just wish I would have thought to ask that question instead of presuming. Um, we can presume and not mean to. You know, we, we have traditions, we have um, paradigms, we have uh, routines, we have habits. And really, is God the Lord of those habits? Is He the foundations of those routines? Is He the author of it? Is He the one that's guiding us and leading us in what we're doing? Or are we doing it just because this is what we've always done? Or this is, you know, how we've gone about it. And it really is just about the growing oneness of him and who he is and what he has for us and what he has for us to know in him and experience in him. Um, So, I don't know, just another way of asking that question, whether it's, you know, identifying an area that may be stuck or may be painful or may be unpleasant and saying, okay, God, what have I defined? What am I thinking? How am I looking at this that is prohibiting me from receiving the fullness of life that you have for me in it? Or whether it's a, what would you have me see? Or maybe you don't have any areas in your life that have any particular conflict or difficulty or hindrance, which is awesome. Then I would be asking the Lord the same question about the joy. I'd be asking, what do you want me to see in the joy? What do you want me to see in the blessing? What do you want me to see in the promise fulfilled? You know, how, how can I come into a greater union with you? Because that's what he's designed us for. And I, I don't believe that we're walking in that yet. But it is what he has for us. It is a oneness and a union with Christ that has been extended with each other. And the foundation of that union, I believe, is truth. This is why I'm having a first date tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to pray. I'll say one thing about habits and stuff. There's a freedom to form the habits you want to form. Um, Where the Pharisees went wrong is they went, these are the ones God has my heart. say even more than form your own there's a tremendous wisdom to more what do you have what can we do yeah, the day to day which can be different day to day just the fun part of walking um, I, I think back to the garden I think there were probably days where the Lord would have been like 
Adam Eve, check this out. What? This cool little bug walking around on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No, we're not going to eat it, but come look. You know, like, there could have been lessons in there. Which is what works when you, you don't put definitions to as you join in that. Um, you know, we do live inside the boundaries that he sets. This is not a lesson for license. There's, there's just some life in it that's available when we really, like, when I pull all this stuff out of the Just give me Jesus. Father, I this is kind of a heavy message. Um, it really kind of is. And um, you know, I had some days looking at this that were just down like frustrated and depressed. And I know that your heart isn't to weigh us down, it's the exact opposite. Um, but we do have to look at what we're carrying. I have to recognize it. I can put that down. I don't have to carry that anymore. Um, and so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you will come and you will really just give us a grace to let go. Give us a grace to go, you know, it is not like I thought it was. It's okay. Give us a grace to see your freedom, to know it, to enjoy it. Um, Lord, I ask that you would ask that you escort us in the desert and into the places where you do the real teaching and you do the training and you or that where there is a union with you. Um and if we talk about wanting a closer walk, Lord, this this is part of how that happens. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to really to see the process that you've laid out for each of us, which is going to be different, person to person. Um, you know, I can't look around the room and say, this one's going to have it like this one, that one's going to have it like that. I don't, I don't know. Um, and I'm okay with not knowing. But when I know for a fact that you know exactly what you're doing, and Lord, I ask that you really surround us in it. In the absence of the comfort of the familiar, that we would have the comfort of your presence. And in the absence of the comfort of our certainty and the things we think we know, that we would have the comfort of you are going to lead and guide us. Um, you know, that we would walk out and be truly ready for whatever it is you have out um, and it's kind of funny to preach about the promise land all the time. I don't know what the promised land is for each person, but I do know that we're all called to go into the unified with you, having a blast with you, overcoming whatever's in the way. Um, that, that's, that's what's available. Um, and so, Lord, I ask that it be personal. And I ask that in the instability and shaking his that it would be that way. And Lord, I also, I just come against any sort of shame of past mistakes. Um, I really think part of the reason the Pharisees rejected you is they didn't want to look back and realize that what they had spent their lives on was a complete waste of time. Um, 
I really think they have a problem with that thought. I don't blame them for that, but it did put them in opposition with you. And Lord, I ask that you would grant us a grace to know that what you have is so much better. Um, this is an opportunity for a trade up. As you feel this and cover us, and Lord, tonight for sleep, I ask that you grant us rest. We get good sleep, and I ask for tomorrow that you would just help us to have a wonderful time together. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we pray. Thank you so much, Wendy, David, everything you've said, everything you sang, and your presence. Um, we are going to, well, Karen, can you come up here and just tell anybody anything that they need to know? I think I told them that, I mean, the things that, except for, for sure, what time we're starting today. Session time tomorrow. I said around nine, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, how does that sound to you? I mean, the reason I was saying nine is because we have so many other things. You know, the later we start, the later everything else gets pushed. Right. Yes. I think nine's good. Let's do nine, yeah, because I want to make the most of what we have. And David and Wendy, and you're right. I mean, I want there to be plenty of time for God to work in the Saturday evening session. Um, we're we're going to try to start that earlier. Yeah, we're going to do an early one so that we have time for bonfire after. And if you all want to, I don't know if you're able to, but if you want to, like, you know, we just want to leave as much daylight. We don't have to wait until like after the big session. That's yeah, that's good. Connect with David and Wendy. Um, if you really want to play chess, my middle child is over there. Um, he'll probably play with you. If you want to play video games, my youngest is over there. <laughs> like, yeah, I know, I know we kind of really played the last year on Saturday, but we're happy to do it. We're not going to crazy people anytime. Like, yeah. Like, anytime, like, you want to, whatever. Yeah, that might work better for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Give them a little bit of sleep, and, um, and then it wouldn't be so crunched okay. for people. And we have a smaller group, so let's take advantage of that. So let's make sure. it easier. Alright, anything else? I don't think so. I mean, cereals for breakfast, unless somebody feels like making that, uh, some of that random stuff. Is <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does anyone know how to work the sound system? I will stay up. What's that? Does anyone know how to work the sound system? Okay. Ten. I could probably figure it out. I, I, I'll, I'll raise my head on this one. All right, cool. We, we work. Yeah. 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 We did that. Yeah. 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 Composition. Vocal. Yeah. Right, you guys are muted. No, we're not.